Welcome to another episode of Eat Sleep Podcast Repeat. I am Dave Taylor, and thanks for joining us for this very special episode. Uh, this episode's so big, we had to break it up in the two parts. And here is part one as we look back at the amazing career of The Undertaker. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, and everybody else who is here for one thing and one thing only, and that's to remember the career of the legendary Undertaker. We are Eat Sleep Podcast, repeat FM 99 of the Fox's first and only wrestling podcast. I am Sean Hood, and that is Dave Taylor. How you doing, everybody? Happy post-Thanksgiving. He looks a little blurry at the moment, but trust me, it's Dave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, yes, I uh, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I hope everybody is uh, still chowing down on... On, I literally just got done eating leftovers before I came in to do this. So, like, we sat down, and I'm sitting here going, oh, God, I'm stuffed. Like, oh, I have to do things. This is the worst plan I've ever made. <laughs> um, but it's okay. I'm here, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the, really, the legacy and the career of a guy whose career spanned 30 years in the WWE. I mean, realistically, more than that, but 30 okay. years in the WWE as one character, essentially. Um, yeah. which is just amazing and some of the stuff that he went through there his his big moments his uh his his big matches some of the stuff we remember and as always if you're joining us live please by all million means throw in your comments your uh your your thoughts your your moments or, or matches or whatever of the undertakers that really stuck with you we'd love to hear from you guys uh but we'll get the business out of the way first before we dive into everything as always the easiest way to find our show and to stay on top of what we got going on is fm99.com and 1069thefox.com right under the media tab it says espr click it links you to our most recent episode ever so you will always have access to our most recent episode right there if for some reason you don't have a major podcasting app but you can find us on all of those you just have to search for ESPR Wrestling on all of them. doesn't matter what you use. And then you give us a five-star rating and a review when you subscribe. helps us greatly. We do appreciate it. And, of course, there's social media if you're involved in that. You probably are if you're watching us right now. Uh, if you're watching us, by all means, then uh, you're following us on Facebook or Twitter or something like that. And Facebook is facebook.com slash ESPR99. On the Twitter, at ESPR99. And, of course, you can email us anytime, ESPR at FM99.com. We do encourage you to do so when we are not live, if there's something you'd like us to address or talk about. And without further ado, there's not much to really beat around the bush today. We're, we're kind of diving right into it. It is time for The Undertaker. His final farewell was this past Sunday at Survivor Series. Um, we saw a lot of uh, uh, people. We talked about this a little bit. Um we found we talked about it a little bit on uh the pay-per-view or i'm sorry after the paper when we did the review for survivor yeah. series which is up right now and you can go check that if you want to hear our thoughts on survivor series so we won't get into the farewell too too much but i thought it was well done really nice video package kind of highlighting his career and the different moments in it and whatnot um and it, it really did seem like a justifiable send-off for the character uh without going too yeah. hokey you know so it was it was interesting to 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 see some of the people that came there for the uh, for the different uh, or at least some of the different characters that showed up for the goodbye. Um, I know it caught some people in uh, off guard when like the Godwins showed up, even though they did have a history with him. Savio Vega had a history with him. You know, the Godfather had a history with him. I mean, there was definitely different people that had a history with him. Whether it was more behind the scenes than actually on camera, um, yeah. a lot of these guys were very important to him. So but it was, it was weird because they they vanished though. <laughs> as soon as well, the man shows up. You know, they're not outside the ring. You know, they're not. I, I think know, that, I, but I, I think that was the point. They weren't there. They weren't there to 
to bask in the moment. They were yeah. literally just appearing to show respect for this guy that they have so much respect for. And that's it. They just wanted him to know, you know, hey, all these guys turned turned out for you. This is what you mean to people. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, imagine non-pandemic time. I mean, the whole Raw would have been two hours of just people coming to the ring. and then. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. In the non-pandemic days, this would have taken a whole hour by itself. Yeah, this is this is I I because we would have had a lot more people showing up I think, and yeah. we would have never gotten done with chance you know from the crowd no, that never would have no, stopped. No. One more match. Or... Oh, and I would have been at home going no no you <laughs> shut up right now. <laughs> hey Shane uh, O'Mac had a chance when he came out. Yeah, now. a piped in chant. <laughs> Go to hell WWE. Um, <laughs> all right, but again, we're not going to focus too much on the farewell tonight. We uh, uh, are here to talk about his actual career. And what it meant to us and you guys as well. By all means, feel free to uh, talk about uh, your favorite moments from The Undertaker or when we discuss something, give us your thoughts on it. And uh, without further ado, I think I'll let Dave take it away as we start this uh, retrospective. Yeah. So, uh, you know, before he was in WWE, he, he had a lot of time. He spent some time USWA, World Class, and WCW, mm-hmm. renew him as, uh, you know, Mean Mark and one of the skyscrapers briefly managed by Paul Lee. Then he leaves. He, yep. he leaves, and, uh, you know, the, the talk was he, he was going to WWF at the time. Uh, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen because, you know, guys come and go, and, you know, does he get a new gimmick or whatever else? And uh, lo and behold, Survivor Series, no, he has nothing to do with the egg, thankfully. Thank goodness. Oh, God. my God. That, <laughs> so I, re- I remember him talking. I think it was on the first uh, – I think it was the first Stone Cold Steve Austin show he did the the the, the on the network. I'm yeah. pretty sure he talked about that egg. And he said, damn it, that's going to, I'm going to be Eggman. I don't, don't <laughs> let me be. And then he tried to hype himself up about Eggman. And then he learned he wasn't going to be Eggman. And he was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> it was like, you know, uh, because yes, thankfully it had nothing to do with the Undertaker. Yeah. So what happened in that meantime, when, when he's out of those organizations is that um, Sergeant Slaughter, who was in WWE at that time, uh, he was a guy that he was in charge of finding talent. If you he was scouting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he was responsible because back then, you know, I mean, the only way to really find these guys, if you watch the shows and back then, you know, the McVince McMahon didn't have the time or whatever else, you know, he would have guys say, hey, you need to check out this guy. They get a tryout match. So he, he was responsible. Uh, Slaughter was responsible for like the lightning kid, uh, you know, or one, two, three kid, I should say. Yeah. But he was like kid and global. Uh, and he also came across uh, another tape. Uh, in fact, I got um, got a couple minutes here. We can get the Sergeant Slaughter story and how he discovered The Undertaker. I guess my all-time favorite discovery was uh, a guy that uh, sent the tape in from WCW, and a uh, big red-headed kid. Man, he was good. And uh, I, I said to uh, Vince, here's a guy I really, really think you're going to like. He said, Sarge, if you think he's good enough to, to be here for a tryout, you bring him in. So he came in. He uh, found me in Rochester, New York, when we were doing a TV tape, and I said, uh, you'll put your bag in the uh, extras room and uh, go to catering, and, and uh, if you see somebody around here that you can have a good match with, that I'll put you on the first or second match. You're not going to uh, – it's not going to be shown on TV. We're just going to uh, film it, tape it, and watch it, and uh, – See what we think. And he said, okay. So uh, when we got to be batch time, I went up into the gorilla position, told him to come up. He uh, he said he had a guy he thought he could have a pretty good match with. So 
they were the uh, first match of the night, and I uh, sent them out. I uh, had my headset on, watching the monitors, and uh, he got done with his match. Or what, right before he got done with his match, one of my ear, ear uh, the sets went off my ear, and I heard a voice say, where did you find this guy? And that voice was Vince McMahon, and I said, uh, in a box of tapes, he said, well, send him to my office when he gets done. I said, yes, sir. So this uh, gentleman came came back up, and uh, he said, how did I do? I said, well, Vince McMahon wants to uh, see you. He said, did I do something wrong? I said, I think you might have did something right. Let's go. So uh, I took him down to Vince's office, introduced him. He came back out and a uh, big smile on his face, which he doesn't do much of. And I said, uh, everything okay? He says, yeah, he wants me to come uh, tomorrow night if I could. And I said, will you, will you be able to? He said, you're damn right I will. And so he showed up the next night in uh, Buffalo, New York. And uh, he's been with us ever since. His name is uh, The Undertaker. Wow. The Undertaker. Mark Calloway. Mark Calloway. Man, I... And uh, I just saw him last week up in New York at the big event. And uh, he had a line uh, out the door, signing autographs, taking photos. And so I finally snuck up uh, behind him and did just like Vince McMahon did to me. <laughs> I whispered in his ear. I said, I haven't got my 10% yet. <laughs> and uh, he knew exactly who it was. And without even turning around, he said, the check's in the mail, Sarge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> that was good. I like that. Uh, it's interesting to see, you know, he. It, it's hard to imagine him as just this redheaded kid, The Undertaker. Yeah. Because, you know, we're all used to seeing him essentially as a grown-ass <laughs> man. Um, and it, now, especially with, like, dark hair, brown or, or, or black hair. Um, but at one point, even he was a, even he was a, a, a rookie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and the look he had, which obviously is so different because he didn't have the makeup on and everything else. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and then, you know, he shows up at, uh, you know, Survivor Series with the full makeup and Brother Love is a manager. Well, he's, he's brought under- out, he's brought out with, <laughs> wasn't he brought out by Ted DiBiase at first? Well, DiBiase introduced him, you know, our mystery yeah, yeah, partner. Yeah. You know, Let it ring my brother yeah. love from Death That's Valley. right, yeah. Yeah, which is funny. Was he? um, He actually, I think, I think that was his big debut. But wasn't he on like Superstars of Wrestling before that? Well, he didn't. Like he taped beforehand. Okay, and they called him. They called him Kane, the Undertaker, at that point. Yes, and for and it was weird because like for the first like couple of weeks, like when they showed those matches, the announcers, not the uh, the ring announcer. Like referred to him as Kane the Undertaker, but like mm-hmm. McMahon and whoever else, uh, Piper or whatever, uh, didn't. Other than one reference where I think Piper says he's manager or he's he's uh, you know he's Kane or whatever, but obviously that Kane name would later come back as a completely different wrestler. So yeah, it's interesting. Uh, pairing him with Brother Love is interesting in the sense that Brother Love, I mean, he managed a lot of guys, but I don't know that he really fit with the Undertaker. Um, and on round two or one last round or whatever they call it, the second round yeah. with Undertaker and Steve Austin on the network. Um, they had a great discussion of how he ended up with Paul Bearer in the WWE. 
Um, and he said, luckily it happened, you know, relatively early on in, in his run because it worked out so well for him. But he talked about how when he was back in, I think, in uh, Texas before he was wrestling uh, in Texas before he came to the WWE, he was there yeah. for a few weeks as Texas Red, this guy under a red mask. And they just shoved one, one night he goes out to the ring to, to wrestle against um, Bruiser Brody. And he's in the ring already. And all of a sudden, this manager comes out behind him and starts rubbing his shoulders and says, I'm your manager tonight, kid. And he's like, well, where were you when I came out? It was like, you know, uh, and that happened to be Percy Pringle, who was better known as Paul Bearer. Um, and they worked together there for a little bit and then went their separate ways because they didn't have anything else for Taker in Texas. He ends up yeah. in the WWE. They're looking for somebody to go with Taker. And Paul Bearer is discuss or Percy Pringle at the time is discussing with Vince McMahon and then what he what he can do, what kind of helping him find a character for him. And he says, oh, I have a degree in mortuary science. And everybody starts laughing because it's so perfect because they need somebody to manage The Undertaker. <laughs> Lo and behold, Paul Bearer and The Undertaker were born and uh, became one of the most probably iconic manager wrestler combos ever. I, I, I would say so. I mean, he had, um, you know, the funeral parlor uh, mm -hmm. in the interview show, which, which was just which was just great. Uh, you had the, uh, you know, the locking of the warrior in the casket, which, you yep. know, scared the bejesus out of a lot of people. Yeah, there were kids were terrified. Kids were terrified of that. You know, and, and it, it, you think of it, yeah, the, the WrestleMania matches was uh seven when um you know you see like Macaulay Cock and these other kids, you know, still like who is this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Um but I really do think it was it was uh a perfect match. You couldn't have come up with anybody better to put with the Undertaker at that point. And you bring up WrestleMania seven. And uh, that I, you said WrestleMania seven, didn't you? Yeah, yep, yeah, I did. Okay, I'm making sure I didn't just hear that because I wanted to. It's a segue. <laughs> um, WrestleMania seven, which was the beginning of the illustrious streak, which nobody at the time really knew that. You no, know, I, he, Taker himself said nobody really caught on to it till he got to about ten. Um, but he that was his first uh, WrestleMania win, and it was first WrestleMania match, and he gets the win over the legendary Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Now it wasn't the prettiest match. No, but it, Super, it, it's, Superfly it's was Superfly was kind of past his point at that time, or yeah. past his prime prime at that time. But he uh, he still it it meant something for Undertaker to put away a legend like that decisively at WrestleMania in his WrestleMania debut match. Absolutely, and, and you look at that when he when he came out of the scene, you know he beats you know Coco and Dusty his first night. You're beating mm -hmm. Dusty Rose your first night in WWE, right? Uh, you, know, you know, and then he's running through talent. I remember him beating like Greg Valentine like in prime time uh, the match against Tugboat before WrestleMania seven, mm -hmm. which was like a squash match. It was Tugboat, you know, and he squashed him in like three minutes. And he squashed Snuka. So obviously, you know, at this time they're, they're making him look great. He did feud over the summertime with Warrior, you know, which was House Joe matches. They're casket or zombie matches or whatever they had back then <laughs> some crazy gimmicks and then it was um i guess eventually survivor series right where he, he fights uh hulk hogan in the gravest challenge ever which is iconic in and of itself because he ends up winning the title at that point yeah uh off of uh uh, uh Hogan. I can't. I, Hogan, yes my brain just <laughs> went on me for some reason which i think shocked a lot of people that he that he beat Hogan at that point because Hogan, I mean, we all know Hogan. Hogan must pose. He's the guy who beats everybody. He's the guy who who is unbeatable essentially, unless you know uh, uh, we're gonna somehow yeah make good on it later. You know, it's just people were shocked because Undertaker was still rel relatively new, especially compared to Hogan at that point, and he ends up becoming the yeah. then 
youngest WWF champion uh, at the uh, ever at the time. Now he only held it for like a few <laughs> days, right? Yeah, it was it was because uh, the pay per view was on a Wednesday, and then it was this Tuesday in Texas where he lost it in the rematch, and then they you know then they the whole thing transitioned towards the Rumble. It was weird because you know he was as a heel, and and it wasn't common at that time that he was getting cheered. Uh, you know, when, yeah. when he was winning matches and stuff, like when he beat Snuka in the Hogan thing, obviously there's a pop when there was a title change, but people were starting to cheer him, you know, so it kind of ran into a well, because there was something so cool about him. Yeah. There were there was something cool about the scare. I mean, it's the same way we like horror movies and people end up being, a, and people end up loving, um, uh, you know, Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees and, and the guy, you know, you, yeah. you something, even though the character is awful and the things they do are awful there's just some coolness factor about it or something like that that you can't help but get behind you know and it resonates with you a little bit not to mention the fact that with hogan i think um there even back then i think there was a segment of people who were kind of getting over hogan yeah yeah I, there, there was some of that because uh this was before well, I mean, obviously he took a break before after us 88 but there's a time where okay you beat slaughter and then all this and then you know, there's no big challengers to face this guy until there was Taker, because it was just kind of predictable. And there was nobody at the time really to face Hogan until Undertaker came along and was built up enough where, okay, you're like, okay, this guy maybe has a chance. But does he really have a chance because he's fighting Hogan? And long yeah. he wins. Yeah. And I mean, even still, it was still kind of uh, uh, a heelish way to win the title because he dropped him on a steel chair. Yeah. To win, you know, the tombstone on the steel chair, which, <laughs> by the way, his tombstones back then looked a little scarier. <laughs> Like yeah, they, were, did, yeah. they were a little more stiff looking back then. <laughs> yeah. Now, now the second one, because you gave the first one hooked up, but the second one, yeah. I mean, there was a little bit of space on that. But you know, oh, he's no, 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 Hulk. for sure. He's, he's absolutely he's protecting the golden goose, one hundred percent. He knows yeah. he he knows who Hogan is. He is <laughs> he is not going to be the guy who ends up crippling Hulk Hogan. Yeah. That is not going to happen. Um, and he uh. He ended up, uh, but I mean, like, just the way I just—I just mean the way he performed the move. It looked a little oh, more, yeah. like, uh, oh, I don't know, vicious back then. I say that, but then you go back and watch the ones like he did to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, like twenty-six or whatever, where he like leaps in the air when he yeah. does it or whatever. I get it, just hit, you know, just different ones were 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 more intense, I guess. But I don't know. Earlier in his career, they looked a little more. He would—he was, I don't know. Later on, he was more of a badass fighter putting a guy down. And early on, he was the dead man who just grabbed you and just kind of, you know what I mean? It was just yeah, real, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's well, hard I to think explain. Too, like, but... you know, a lot more wrestlers back then had, had you know, had hair and longer hair. To hide so it, I yeah. Think, you know, I, think, I think some of that was covered up too, but. Uh, oh, without a doubt. But, but an impressive move. I mean, that was before even he developed the, you know, the choke slam when he kind of evolved some of his moves and long before the uh, last ride. Mm-hmm. So it wins the title, loses the title. And then uh, early uh, the following year, um, you know, there's that spot where um, Macho Man and uh, Jake the Snake have that match on like Saturday night's main event, mm-hmm. and at the end of the night, uh, you know, Jake's going to smash or uh, Jake's going to smash Macho with a chair, maybe Elizabeth, whoever comes through first. So well done, so yeah. dramatic. And, well, and, and then, they knew they knew the tide was turning on Taker. People were cheering yeah. him, and so we needed to put him in a position for people to cheer him. And yeah. we did, or they did at that point, and it was very, very well done. People wanted to root for the Undertaker, and it worked beautifully, setting up the WrestleMania match at WrestleMania Eight between them. Yeah, I, I, th- and I thought that was a pretty good match. It was a big step up. I mean, he took a DDT yeah. on the floor, and you know, kicked out, and it was kind of big send off at the time. And 
Yeah, agreed. That kind of well. Yeah. So. And, but I mean, again, I think it. I think it worked out well. It was. It was. I mean, between that and the snooker match, this was definitely the better match. Yeah, absolutely. The so. two. Uh, and then after that, I mean, kind of, we'll just, you know, the taker in the 90s. I mean, you know, he had, um, you know, because you didn't really go for a world title for a while. Um, no, well, yeah. let's not let's not forget the very next WrestleMania. He had one of the worst WrestleMania matches ever. Um, we can't just skip over this, Dave. We have to talk no, about we, this. No, we can't. We can't. Um, yeah, he, he went against uh, Giant Gonzalez, <laughs> which... Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never seen that match, it is on the WWE Network WrestleMania Nine. Go find it for yourselves. It is, um, ooh, it's a thing. <laughs> it's uh, a uh, thing that happened. Matches. Um, it, it is at the bottom of the list. It, it, it is terrible. Uh, as Taker said, it's a tough. It was a tough day at the office. Bad day at the office. Yeah, um, that's one way to go to put it. Gonzalez was limited, uh, but you know that was kind of like a thing where. Taker in the 90s, and you mentioned that was you know, they either brought guys in, like they created guys, like I remember, like the executioner and the buried alive match. Um, you know, there always seemed to be these opponents they bring in for Undertaker, you know, they bring in these big guys. You know, you had, you had the feud with Mabel, you know, Mabel broke literally broke his face for real, yes, he did. um, you know, but he had that match, and I think he had a casket match with the Milton Urn. Um, you had that, you know, you had the match, uh, I think it was at 11 with Bundy. Uh, because he skipped 10 because uh, he was out with uh, after Yokozuna put him in the casket. Now, that was a good feud. Now, that was a good feud. Yokozuna, um, that was probably his first good feud as a uh, as a face was against Yokozuna. Mm-hmm. The matches were pretty good. Well, and it was his first like casket match, right? Yes, yes, yeah. uh, the first one that they had, yeah, at a, yeah. uh, and I think I'm in thinking. the I think in the promos leading up to that, you saw him like building the casket and stuff like that while while yeah. they, they were leading up to it. And I liked that. And he's building this massive casket for Yokozuna because obviously he was going to need it if he was going to put Yoko in there. Um, and it was it was a good feud. I think Yoko, for a guy who was so intimidating and whatnot for so long, did a great job of selling like he was scared, which yeah. really helped put over Undertaker, even though Undertaker lost the match. Yoko being so terrified of this situation really helped put over Undertaker. And I yeah. mean, they were they were extremely close friends, Yoko and Taker. Um, so I mean, they were both part of the Bone Street crew. And he he, you know, he said he said on any occasion he gets to talk about Yoko, he talks about how much he loved him and how much he misses him. Um, so it shouldn't be a huge surprise they work so well together. Yeah, they had some great matches. By the way, I think Kamala, the previous uh, couple months, was the first casket match. This was like the next one because he built a special one for him. Oh, was it? Uh, yes, yeah, because that was before WrestleMania 9 because it was after 8 because um, it was Bulldog and uh, Hart because uh, Bulldog was gone by 9. But but it was very rare that they had the casket matches. But um, but yeah, that happens. He takes a little bit of a break. He, he comes that you do the fake Undertaker angle. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was not a great match at SummerSlam because you know he couldn't figure out if it was who. Um, it just I don't know. No offense to Brian Lee, it just didn't work. Um, no, it didn't work. I mean, <laughs> these doppelganger things are never going to work. I don't know no, what people no. expect. But, but but that was like I said, bringing people in, you know, for Taker, and it, that just didn't work. The Giant Gonzalez thing was a disaster. I was at SummerSlam '93 when Taker fought Gonzalez, and that match wasn't much better than the one they had at Mania. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're going from zero to point zero one. Maybe you kind of hope that maybe they had figured out how to make it a little more entertaining. But I'm sorry, Gonzalez was just terrible. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was terrible. So it's really, I mean, what else was he going to do? I guess. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so, so then after that, he gets uh, he gets his revenge against uh, Yokozuna uh, in, in a casket match. Uh, you know, once um, actually, that was a long time after uh, Yoko dropped the the, uh, the title. I, I think at that point, Brent got it back. So I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit here. But uh, but yeah, he had the weird feuds in the 90s. I mean, the Yokozuna feud was great, but like the Giant Gonzalez thing was terrible. The Executioner, the fake Undertaker. You know, things didn't really get good until they had the, uh, I think it was like the first like Hell in the Cell match. Right. That, that was the one where, uh, this is where things started to change for the Taker because you had uh, Shawn Michaels, the uh, Shawn Michaels match, which was just outstanding. Even even before Kane got involved, I mean, this structure, because you know, all this interference, everything going on, they had the blood, you know, the climbing the cage, Michaels going through the table. Those two that worked was- so well together. Um, they did. They did. That was probably one of his best matches well of the night. Yeah. Oh, I would agree. He, um, and they talked about this on that Austin interview as well, where they were talking about how Undertaker obviously knew how to hand out a hand out a, a butt kicking and make it look good, <laughs> and uh, Shawn Michaels knew how to take one and make it look good. But yeah. not only that, for a smaller guy, Shawn knew how to hand one out and make it look good too. And so, like when Shawn was on the offensive in there, he made it look good. It didn't look like Taker's trying to sell this much smaller guy in an unbelievable way. He Sean made it look good. They laid in their stuff. It was all really well done. Uh, and then, of course, we get the iconic debut of Kane, who yeah. is uh, the Undertaker's brother. Well, K-Fabe, Undertaker's brother. And uh, probably one of the most – I mean, it, it's absolutely one of the most iconic moments from the Attitude Era, that whole time frame. Um, without a doubt, it's one of the most uh, iconic moments I have in Undertaker's career because Kane became a favorite of mine almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. Watching him rip the door off the cell was amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's I think just such that, a memorable debut. I mean, I mean it, it's, it's hard to have a debut that's like that memorable, but both, you know, both of these guys, you know, and here comes Kane ripping the door off and stare down. Well, and they talked about how they needed somebody like Kane because Taker is this big, badass monster baby face and that doesn't yeah. you know who, who do you put him against at that point um he needs somebody that can be viewed as a big threat to him and kane was that kane was his size and roughly the same kind of kind of wrestling and whatnot so it's funny it's almost like the fake undertaker story in the sense that you have almost like this clone of undertaker but in this sense it was a much this is why this worked better is it wasn't supposed to be is that a, is, which one's undertaker no yeah. the story is just that this is his brother <laughs> Hence all the similarities, and he hates him. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I'm like, and the story worked incredibly well, especially Paul Bearer switching. So, well, he had switched previously. But... Yeah, he, he had the, the feud with Mick Foley started. They had the Boiler Room Brawl, and right. he went heel on that. That that's part of '97. Was quite the year for Taker. He wins the title at Mania against Sid. Fights, uh, he loses at SummerSlam with uh, against Bret Hart. Uh, and then you know he's got the Hell in a Cell thing. He's got the the Boiler Room thing going on. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. I think Boiler Room might have been next year, but uh, but man, it was just uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of crazy stuff in that Mick Foley feud. I mean that 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 you know that that was a long time going. Um, right. You know, it, it, it's so much going on with that. But yeah, Kane being his uh, his brother, and I will say this: no offense to Brian Lee, but Kane, uh, Glenn Jacobs, much better wrestler. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably, probably. It's a safe. Yeah. That's a, at least for what they needed him to do, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give the nod to Kane. Was much better at that. Kane was good. Kane was good. People underestimated Kane because he had kind of a, a shtick that he stuck to for a long time. Yeah, but he he was a he was an incredibly good wrestler when when it came down to it. 
So yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. Yeah, so they, you know, they had the match at Mania. That was the first mm-hmm. time they fought. When you think about that, I mean, that was months of a, uh, a you know, a, a build. And then you finally get the match, and then Kane wins again, or uh, Taker wins again. Mm-hmm. You know, the, to continue the, uh, we didn't know the streak yet, but that was another match. No, again, um, we had no clue at the time. And what's yeah. funny is I don't even remember putting that together in my head. I like I I didn't I it didn't dawn on me that there was a streak until they addressed it on television finally. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, how about this? Uh, Chris uh, mentioning one return match from Undertaker, Mankind, and Alcatraz. It was thought of, but never happened. That would have been really cool. It would have been really cool. Man, that yeah, would have been awesome. That, 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 that would have been awesome. Thank you, uh, Chris, for that. Yeah. Um, and, and then later that year, um, you know, after Mania, of course, we, we get uh, the King of the Ring tournament. And, um, you know, and, and nobody knows who won King of the Ring that night because it doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it really doesn't. In the least, uh, who, who won that does not matter to any of us. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. the, man, <laughs> how was anything from that night supposed to eclipse what we saw between Mick Foley and The Undertaker in that in that match? Yeah, you know, it's weird because people like will say, you know, it's the greatest match. Uh, I mean, it's one of the most memorable matches of all time. It made it, you know, absolutely the scientific end of it but it was not about that. It was, you know, three no, things, but when, things that happened in that match. Just when you talk from a character standpoint, from a story standpoint, from a, a fighting standpoint, this was as I'm sorry, this was this was more badass than the than any of the hardcore brawls out there. You see the hardcore matches and this, that, and the other thing. Because of really, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, and I don't hope it ever happens again. But um this was because of the the things that went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that that's why this is so good, like so memorable. Like he throws him off the cell and they take him out on a stretcher. That's supposed to be it, because he is effed up. He is yeah. done. But Mick Foley, not only he gets off the stretcher and immediately goes to climb back up. The I remember Taker's face watching it for the first time. <laughs> I remember Taker going down the other side and he yeah. sees Mick Foley going back up and he just has this look on his face like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and, he's like, and so he goes back up and they go right back at it on the top of the cage. And you're just like, holy, like, how is he alive? Let alone climbing yeah. back up there for more. Then the choke slam through the roof happens. Uh, yeah, with, you know, with the cage breaking, which was not supposed to happen, with the chairs no, making dude. Face. When I learned <laughs> that the cage was not supposed to give way, I was stunned by that information because, like, you can't like the idea that something could go that wrong. Because I mean, very yeah. easily they could have both died from that fall. Um, God, God love him. We we rest in peace, Owen Hart. With another tragic fall, but I mean, it just shows you things can go wrong. And in this case, they got really lucky that they didn't go more wrong. And it ended yeah. up resulting in like the one of the most iconic matches in the history of sports entertainment, wrestling, whatever you want to call it. So the, that, yeah, that I, match, I believe it was, uh, with the thumbtack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That match alone could have written the legacy for Undertaker and Mick Foley. Well, it's interesting to say that you know we had a Mick Foley was was a guest on our show, and yep, um, yep. and also an alumni from our show, uh, Eric, um, had yep. a chance to interview him as well. And and they brought up uh, he brought up the uh, Hell of the Cell. So here's uh, here's a mixed interview 
with uh, with Eric and uh, and and mixed thoughts on Undertaker. So, like, you remember when like the Undertaker threw you off the cell? Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> in a way, in a way, you made the Undertaker. No, come on, admit it. No, take the, the praise. Under- the Undertaker was a huge star oh, before yeah. I ever. <laughs> he did far for far more for me than I did for him. I may have been a little shot in the arm, you okay. know, like uh, we created some more interest. And I think he had just gotten tired of wrestling guys who were like, okay, how can we challenge the Undertaker? He's gotten sure. taller than him. Right. Or heavier, or bigger. And he just had a, like a, a long line of really big guys. And, True. Uh, I never actually asked him why, uh, what he had to do with uh, me being in that role, but I know Mr. McMahon went from being a non-fan of mine in the largest way possible sure. to, you know, utilizing me as a, you know, major guy in that lineup. I think a lot of it had to do with The Undertaker, so sure. he had a lot more to do with well, my he had, success. He always, it's always been known that he's got a big voice yeah, back there yeah. in Vince's ear and, and whatnot, so. Yeah, uh, but to do a match that people still remember so fondly, 21 years after the fact. It's crazy. Pretty much the match has allowed me to dress in sweatpants and sneakers. <laughs> I think you earned it. I don't have to put my teeth in, right? Like People <laughs> give me that pass because they're, they're the Hell in a Cell teeth. That I exactly. It's pretty good. I, I do got to say the first pay-per-view I ever asked my grandma to buy was the Boiler Room Brawl. Really? Yep. I was SummerSlam. You got to let, let me get it. I got to see how it goes. And that turn at the end. I don't know oh, how old yeah. I was. No I, one saw that coming. I don't know how old I was at the time, but I was almost as sad as when he put the warrior in the casket, and I'm crying like real really? tears. You gotta get him out. <laughs> well, because uh, you know the sign that the fans took from that night. Whoa, this is somebody really to be. Uh, yeah, someone to reckon with by virtue of the fact Paul Bearer turned on the Undertaker. That's. Yeah, you don't. That 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 was unheard of at the Sacrilege, time. Sacrilege. Yeah, unheard. No one of. ever thought that would happen. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm glad they brought that up. The the boiler room brawl. I don't want to go into it too too much. I mean, it was it was, it was an, a, incredibly like effective. Yeah. But the boiler room brawl. It's funny because we've gotten to the point now where we have these cinematic matches and whatnot. And to me, the boiler room brawl was almost like the like one of the preempts to that, like one of the prequels to that sort of thing. Because I mean, yeah. it was clearly not a match. It was more of a gimmick than a match, and everything was staged in a certain way to make it work. You know, granted, they didn't have all the fancy camera angles and the cuts and the stuff that we do now, but I, it really was for me kind of the early, early, early version of what he did with AJ Styles at WrestleMania. Yeah, and, and it fit because of who these guys were. I mean, it wasn't Undertaker, mm-hmm. you know, fighting. Uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, uh, Shawn Michaels in that kind of match. I mean, you know, because Tom it worked perfect for Hell in the Cell, but for this kind of match with the brutality and everything behind, you know, behind the, the scenes and everything, I, I thought it was well done. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it absolutely was incredibly well done. Yeah. Hey, Chuck has a good question, by the way. Do you think it'd be cool if Undertaker did a live show and told stories like Mick Foley did? This guy says, Mick. Um, I do. Ooh, because, man. He... Because, because he's changed, you know, in the last year. Because we never thought we'd get this out of Undertaker. I mean, everything that happened this year has been a, has been a surprise to anyone who's, who's watched this guy for 30 years. I do think it would be cool, but I think he would unlike Mick Foley who goes out there and does it on his own and is very funny and, and glib and whatnot. I feel like Taker might need a moderator there to kind of help move the thing along. Like, like he had with Austin during those interviews and whatnot, like how he, how he had yeah. with the, um, the last ride documentary, 
there was somebody behind the camera feeding him, you know, where we're going to go next, what we're talking about, what we're, you know, tell us what you thought about this. So, I mean, like in the same way that, um, I think, uh, Bruce Pritchard and, uh, Eric Bischoff and some of those guys do with, um, Conrad, um, Conrad, thank you. His name is yeah. for half a second. Um, for, with Conrad, uh, yeah, when they when the, what they do with Conrad, where he's on stage and kind of directs stuff and they tell stories and whatnot, I think like that would be a, a good fit, a situation like that. Not necessarily Conrad, but that sort of thing would work well for the Undertaker. Well, a lot of guys have that because I, I know like Cornette's got a guy, um, you know, that kind of like he sets up the questions and everything, and that kind of bounces off a gym and he has answers and like yeah. Conrad, Bruce, and uh, you know, and some of those guys. You know, I don't know if like Bubba Ray Dudley's got uh, somebody by now or Taz, but and then with their podcast, you know, they got. I hope they have somebody because those guys get heated quickly. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So so we so we move on from Hell in the Cell, and then uh, you know there's there's you know they get the Brothers of Destruction and stuff, um, which was fun that, seeing them together as a team. Yes. Yes. You know they would feud. You know they would they would, you know they would they would team up and everything. Uh, but then the Taker kind of changed uh, towards uh, the end of the nineties, uh, early two thousands. Well, he needed a change. He needed a change because yeah. the character had kind of. He'd been doing really the same thing for a long time and trying to stretch it out as long as he could, you know, um, by he went from the like the mortician looking character with the thick tie. And the, you know what I mean? To yeah. um, the undead sorcerer looking dude to the actual <laughs> sorcerer looking dude. Um, and he just I don't know, he, he'd done a really good job with keeping it entertaining, but I felt like he was. I don't know. Ministry of Darkness was kind of. I feel like I was hitting a, a ceiling for that kind of that character of the Undertaker at that point in time. So I feel like they nailed it perfectly because I really, after that, I was kind of like, okay, all right, you know, I'm kind of, eh, you know, it's like, it's he he's not. He, I don't know. He just wasn't resonating with me like he once did. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, after the feud with Mick went away, and then some time, yeah, the late 90s, it was a weird time. So, yeah, he forms the ministry. He's got Bradshaw and Farouk, who are the uh, the acolytes at the time. You know, a Midian joint, they, they get the Sarah. Uh, you get the brood after that with Edge, Christian, and uh, and, and uh, Gang Growl, uh, you know, part of that group, but they weren't in that group too long. And then, um, you know, eventually, um, you know, Brad, Bradshaw and Farouk leave, and then Zemidian and Vizera, and then, and then, you know, eventually uh, that, but it was a weird time, because he had the symbol, not a cross, it was a symbol, Sean, you gotta remember that. Yeah, and, well, yeah, yeah not a, don't you dare call it a cross. <laughs> it was a symbol. The, the kidnapping of Stephanie McMahon, um, you know, a really bizarre angle, you had the, um, and then it was, was it the next couple of weeks after that, it was uh, uh, Vince McMahon was the leader, or I whatever. I think that was actually part of the problem. I think Vince McMahon being revealed to be the higher power was part of the problem for me because it made Undertaker seem like a lackey. Yeah, which was never his. It was stopped. And, it, and obviously, it was a bad payoff. I mean, I know they refused feuding with Austin, but right. it, it, it just the payoff on that, which was hard at the time, hard to take at the time because WWE was, you know, their, their batting percentage on these angles was so high as, as, yeah. you know, as it was. The Especially on stuff involving Stone Cold. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and that was that to me was just like like a big thud, and I was just like, really, like that's the guy. And I know he's, he's it was, it was a resounding thud. Well, and it was funny is because originally it wasn't supposed to be him. Supposedly, it was you know they changed it from Christopher Daniels to Vince McMahon, which boy, yeah. that is quite <laughs> the change. Um, 
I what's funny is I would have liked to have seen Christopher Daniels in that role, but he was also much younger at the time, and I don't yeah. know if that. I don't know if we, while I have no problem taking him seriously as a character, I think it might have been a little weird to see such a young guy positioned over The Undertaker. Yeah, and a guy that was not as well known at the time, um, you know, to, to, to many wrestling fans. Yeah. I, mean, I think that would, that would have been a little different. Uh, Michael says, once at a time when he said the said something personal, it's just business. <laughs> was it? I don't remember. <laughs> was, that was that McMahon or Dicker? I don't know. Uh, I have I'm no not- idea. But, but then there's a, another um, evolution of characters of sorts, and uh, which I think was a better one from the ministry and everything else. And that's when we get the complete makeover, if you will. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, you mean when he he redid? What he did? Did he redebut at? Uh, was it Judgment Day? I, was that I the pay per view so. he redebuted at? Came out on the motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. With the the creepy little girls and everything and the video that led up to it. And it's so funny Undertaker. watching all that. You knew, even before you, you knew, knew, you knew it was going to be Undertaker. And, yeah. um, but it, it, you were waiting and then the music hits and it's Kid Rock, right? And, yes. Which, I mean, American Badass, which, you know, fine. That, you know, it's nothing wrong at, with at it. At the time, Kid Rock was, was you know, was up Dude, here. Dude, flying high. He was putting out hit after hit after hit at the time. Yes. Um, and again, the song worked for what we were going to get. It just came off in that moment. You didn't know what to expect when Taker, I'm, you're thinking Undertaker is going to come out. Yeah. And the, the one we're, we're familiar with. And all of a sudden we get the American badass song playing and you're like, what? And then he shows up on a motorcycle and you're like, what? <laughs> and he is very much not the Undertaker we were all used to at that point. He was a, a much more, like he said, that was little less undertaker a little more mark calloway yeah you know that's a little more of himself in that character um and dude from the jump the second he came out and started laying waste to people i was into it man i i was like i love this it, 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 it was a big change it was a big change sean you're right it allowed it allowed with him to, to come out and wrestle a different style uh, which would allow him to work differently with people, which would almost make it feel like some matches were new all over again. Um, yes. It allowed him to cut a completely different promo style, which again, feels brand new. It was, it was probably one of the most risky and genius reinventions of a character that they ever did. Well, and, and it completely changed because we had, he had the match at 17 with, uh, with triple H. That was a completely different style. This brawling style, mm-hmm. uh, the match at 18 with, uh, with Rick, Flair, which is a great match. Uh, love that match. Uh, if you haven't seen that one, uh, definitely check out the uh, the Flair match. So good. But it, it's so much better than I thought it was going to be going in. Yeah. And actually, yeah. And, and actually, that's the one where they reference the streak for the first time. Yes, yes. because That's that where was, the streak when, becomes a thing. Yeah, when he, when he, he, he at the end, at the end he's like, one, two, three, four, five, and he goes like that, and he holds up his hands, and I think it's Lawler who says, he's 10-0 and 0, or something like yeah. that. or some, And it's like, oh, oh all right, this is a thing now. And so like yeah, that, yeah. that, that match worked on multiple levels because a, it worked for his character. It, it totally relaunched Ric Flair in the WWE. Yeah. And it also kicked off the really good, like the, the built in story of the streak. So yeah. uh, it, it, so much went right for undertaker during that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it did. And you know, the interesting thing was at that time, cause like his, his bits backstage, you had the comedy stuff. I mean, we're him working with Kurt Angle and which he um, couldn't do before. No, it didn't work with his character being so serious and so dark. And so, which now they would shoehorn that in somehow, but the, 
they, it, it just didn't work for him back then. So now he was able to do these comedy segments involving all these other guys where he didn't necessarily, he was the straight man to their goofball. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Which, which worked. Yeah. Cause WWE put out a, a, a undertaker funny videos collective and it's really just Kurt Angle telling the jokes and Taker just, <laughs> Stone face. Stone face. It's so funny because I love if you you can find the video online, I'm sure, but there's a there's a, a segment where like everybody talks about trying to break the Undertaker, get him to break character. Yeah. Right. And they tried so many times to get him to break character and they just couldn't do it. Like when when uh I think Booker T tried to get him to do the spin a rooney. Yeah, and it's in front of a crowd. I mean, the cameras are off at this point, but it's after Raw or whatever, and they're you know they're having their little Raw after party thing they've done a million times, and he's trying to get them. They're like they're all trying to get Taker to do this Taker Rooney as they called it. I think even Triple H came out. I think all sorts of people yeah. came out, and Taker at one point drops to his knee and then backs up and gets out of the ring. And I was just like, oh, like, but it's still fun listening to all these people trying so hard to get him to break yeah. character. Um, but the American badass, big evil, as Mike brought up, uh, which they big evil was an extension of American badass. Um, big evil paints in the kit, yeah. They, I, I think they, they worked so well for him during that time frame. I know Vince McMahon hated it. Uh, he he hated that gimmick because he thinks it ruined the Undertaker like mystique. But I, I couldn't disagree more. I think it made him more relatable. It made people like really care about him all over again. Um, and I mean, we got some great stuff out of that. I mean, we got him kicking Maven's ass all over the place for a while, which was awesome. And then we oh, also yeah, got, right. yeah, yeah. we because Maven knocked him out of the Royal Rumble, to which, yeah. oh, oh boy, <laughs> did, uh, <laughs> did Undertaker uh, uh, show that guy uh, what it's like to be welcomed into the into the group? It's one one of the greatest Rumble moments of all time because you n- you never saw it coming, didn't expect it, and then yeah, Maven paid the price, uh, and, and he's eating popcorn after. Yeah, and um, the uh, then you had uh, with probably one of the other biggest matches from that time frame was when he was the WWE FE. I think it was E at the time, but I don't remember. He was the champion, and he had a ladder match against a little guy named Jeff Hardy on Monday Night Raw, which to this day you could maybe credit yeah. as one of the greatest matches on Monday Night Raw. Um, he Jeff Hardy worked his match. Jeff Hardy worked his ass off in that match. They told an incredible story about this young guy who's reaching for that brass ring. Uh, the 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 spiteful, angry vet who's going to beat this young guy down and who almost takes him too lightly to where Jeff almost gets the win. Dude, I believed, I believed for a, a, a half a second that Jeff Hardy was about to win at one point. Like, J- JR had the best call yeah. in that match where he's like, climb the ladder, kid. You know, he's like screaming and just, <laughs> I bought in so bad. I'm jumping up and down. Out. Even now, I'm excited all over again. And I know how it ends. It ends with that really ugly choke slam off the ladder yeah. and Undertaker retaining. And then he leaves the ring and Jeff Hardy gets back up and he comes back and beats the living hell out of him. And it's kind of, it's because because he's like, you know, Jeff's going to stay down. And if Jeff doesn't stay down, Taker's going to put him down. But Jeff keeps getting up. And then finally, Taker comes back, and rather than clobbering Jeff, he holds up Jeff's hand out of respect to the crowd and kind of nods at him and, like, just leaves the ring. And it created, one of the, again, one of the most iconic moments in, in wrestling at that time. And it was a time where it's hard to do, but you're putting somebody over when they lose a match. And, and right. that, that's completely what, uh, what Taker did there was uh, to help uh, you know get, get somebody new over because they had the feud at the time. And-, and that is part one as we look at the amazing career of the WWE legend, The Undertaker, who recently retired 
And uh, if you want to check us out online, you can do that. Of course, we are on many different podcast apps, including SoundCloud and uh, Apple, also Stitcher, TuneIn, and you just search ESPR Wrestling. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, ESPR99. And not only that, you can also email us, too, and your thoughts on this show or any other show at ESPR at FM99.com. I am Dave Taylor, and thanks for checking out this episode. And we got more as we do another episode of Eat Sleep Podcast and repeat. <laughs>